morning to the book of Mark, book of Mark chapter number one, book of Mark chapter one as we uh, dive into this wonderful book and God's word and start our journey uh, through it and it's good to have you here today at Trace Creek Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us that we welcome you with open arms or we're grateful that you've chosen to be here today with us and I hope this is the first of many times uh, that you share a Sunday morning with us. So today in Mark 1, verse 1, the Bible says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with the girdle of a skin about his loins and he did eat locusts and wild honey. And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with friends and family that we love, and for some that maybe we've just met. God, today we know that this is a special day, a unique time in all of our lives. So God, I pray that for these few moments today that, that we would hear and that we would listen for the things that you would speak to our hearts about. God, we give you thanks that a day like this, that we can come with those who have given their lives to you and experienced the forgiveness of their sins. And Lord, that we can, uh, with them, celebrate in their following Christ and believers' baptism. So God, I pray that we as a church would always encourage these people and God, that we would be with them on the journey of life. And God, I pray that for more people, for more to come to know you as Lord and Savior and God to experience what it is to have life in Christ. So Lord, for those today that are out preaching the gospel around about us, God, I pray that you would fill them, that you would use them. And God, because of, of you using them, Lord, that people would be brought into the kingdom of God even today. Lord, there's many burdens, many needs in, these, in our lives today. God, that I have many, that we have many. And Lord, that, that's the reason we come today. Because that we have hope, that we have confidence, Lord, that you're able to meet those needs. That you're able, God, to see us through and to help us and to give us guidance and strength for the journey. So God, as we journey through this wonderful book, God, we need you to teach us, and Lord, we want to see Jesus, and Lord, help us today in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, as we look at this uh, beautiful text of Scripture in these uh, first eight verses that we find here, there's four things that we see uh, in this text that I kind of like to divide it into so that we can better uh, understand what's going on. In verse number one, verse number one, we see here just the prelude, the prelude to the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. And then verse two and three, verse two and three, we see the prophecy, the prophecy about 
the gospel of Jesus. And then in verse 4 through 6, we see the prophet, the prophet of the gospel of Jesus. And then in verse 7 and 8, we see the preaching, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. And that's pretty evident as we uh, go through this text of Scripture. And that's my goal as I try to give you some points along the way uh, that it helps you as you read that text to kind of understand uh, the direction and what we need, what, what sense the Spirit leading us that we need uh, to take away from this text of Scripture. In, in verse 1, this prelude to the gospel of Jesus. You know, I called it, I t- entitled this the gospel of Jesus because we're starting in the gospel of Mark today. And that as we look at this gospel of Mark, and we have four, the first four books in the New Testament that, they, that we refer to them as gospels. And that uh, each one of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we attribute them, we attribute them to a writer, and, and understandably so, but make no Uh, Make no mistake about it that the Gospels, that the first Gospel isn't about Matthew, and the second Gospel isn't about Mark, and the third Gospel isn't about Luke, and and the fourth Gospel is not about John. All four of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are one Gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the important thing that we need to take away from this first part, is that this is a Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the biographies that have ever been written about anyone and by anyone, that what we have before us that can, that's contained here in Mark's Gospel and the other three Gospels, that it is incomparable, uncomparable to any of the other Gospels because the Gospel of Jesus, that it is the highlight of all human history, of all the great people that have lived, that have walked upon this earth, that none of them compare to this man named Jesus. So this Gospel is unlike any other writing that there is in all the world. It's a special, it's a special Gospel. You know, there, as we look at this story of Jesus, I, I, I'm kind of hesitant almost sometimes as I say the story of Jesus because some people think of a story as make believe, as made up words. But this story of Jesus, this, this, this is reality. This is truth in its fullness. This is all fact and no fiction. This is about a man who really lived, who really died, who really got up again, and who is really coming back. This story of Jesus Christ, His sacrificial death, His victorious resurrection, that Jesus Christ is the greatest person to have and who will ever live upon the face of this earth. That Jesus is who that we're talking about today. No, only Mark of the books that we have entitled as Gospels. Only Mark of the four actually used the word gospel in his writing. And so, you know, we use it to label a book, but as Mark uses this gospel, this is more than a label, it's more than a historical account. As he talks about the gospel, he is talking about the saving power that is in the message of what Jesus Christ has done. That's what he's talking about. He talks about the gospel. It's all enveloped in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you and I, if, we, if you have been uh, reared in church, 
uh, that you may know that the gospel, that it means good news. And you may have heard that definition, and that is a correct definition, that truly, that it is good news. But however, I want to add to it and say that at the heart and at the understanding of that word, that all of the people that heard and read uh, this, this work that, that Mark has pinned down knew that at the heart of it, that it meant a victor, a victor that it meant a physical rescue, that there was something else tied to it even greater than simply good news, that there is a victor that's tied to this good news, that there is help, there is hope, there is rescue that is tied to this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ. It's more than a good story that it will affect your life. And that's the beauty. It's the beauty of the gospel that we have in this great Savior. No, Mark doesn't waste any time. He doesn't try to build suspense. He doesn't try to create any intrigue as he goes about it. He just simply jumps in and he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus was not necessarily uh, that unusual of a name for someone to have in that day and time. As a matter of fact, I still see it today on some baseball players. They'll come up and they'll say, there's Jesus batting, you know. That's Jesus, I guess. I don't know what it is. But anyhow, you'll, you'll see it used from time to time, uh, even today. But it's a, a transliteration, I guess, or, or, you know, from the Hebrew, not transliteration, but just the change in Hebrew of the word Joshua as he talks about God being our salvation. And then Christ, Christ really is what differentiates Jesus from all the other Jesuses uh, that were living in that time as it speaks of him being the anointed one, him being sent from God. It is a, an explicit Old Testament reference to one that God would one day send to be the Savior of the world. And therefore, you and I, that we often say Jesus Christ, and that is makes him different from all the other ones with the same name as Jesus, that he was the, not a, anoint, or an anointed one. He was the anointed one of God. He's special. You know, Mark, he's unlike Matthew or, or Luke who, who goes and starts to talk about genealogies and, and all of all those things, but, but he, he kind of goes and supersedes that and he says that he is the Son of God. Now, uh, that's some pretty heavy words there that, that Mark has chosen to use. But uh, he under, he's writing to a people. Remember, he's writing to a people in Rome. He's writing to a people that are surrounded by little g-gods. He is writing to a people whose emperors, whose kings, whose rulers all claim to be and believe that they are gods and they are not. So he's saying, hey, you're living in a world full of people and idols who claim to be God, but in my gospel, I'm going to show you what God looks like. And so he, he shows Jesus as the very Son of God. And so throughout these three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry, that there are plenty of, of visible, uh, experiential demonstrations that he is 
unlike all the other gods that they had ever experienced in their life, that he was a God like no other gods, that was higher than any other gods, that was greater than any other gods, that was a God of love and compassion and grace and mercy and help in their time of need. That's who the Son of God is. I think it's neat that as he starts, he says it's the beginning. Just the beginning. Boy, isn't that awesome? And Mark understood and he realized that this was not the whole story. This was not the whole thing. Even the three and a half years that Jesus lived, that was just a small piece of the ministry of Jesus Christ because still today, almost 2,000 years later, that you and I, that we are still experiencing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Mark penned it, it was just a, just a step into the front door of all that God would do through the life and the teaching and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just the beginning. We just are wetting our appetite for who Jesus is as Mark pins these words. So here in verse 1, this is the prelude to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 2 and 3, we see the prophecy, the prophecy about this gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So verse 2 and 3, that it starts to prepare us for the one who has come to prepare the way for Christ Jesus. The one person named John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And, uh, you know, I, I, I assume that you're like I am. I'm, my mind goes to promise, does it not? That, you, you know, you, that it's just how it is. It goes to that. But it says, as it is written, as it is written, when you see that, that phrase given in the New Testament, you'll see that that is, that is referring us to the fact that they are looking back into the Scripture of the Old Testament and they are using the Old Testament as a basis for what is being said in the New Testament. And so here, he's referring uh, to Malachi, he's referring to Isaiah, he's referring to Exodus. And he uses the word prophets in some, and it, and it, and it goes to say and refer to uh, Isaiah. And so Isaiah is a stout, most well-known uh, prophet. So uh, these are words that come from the Old Testament that remind us that what John the Baptist did, that he did not do on his own accord, that John the Baptist didn't just pop up one day, but it was in the divine plan of God for hundreds and eons of ages beforehand that God prepared a people for his son to come because God made a way possible for mankind to be saved. And so it was not uh, something that slipped up on God, but this was his plan, this was his way, and Mark that he highlights this, this prophecy that extends hundreds and hundreds of years that he gives us comfort, that, it, that we should take uh, note of the fact that this was something that God was working out through the history of man. So behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Jesus himself 
It's recorded in Matthew chapter 11 there, and then in, Mark, in Luke chapter 7 that Jesus uses, and he quotes the fact that John the Baptist, that he is, as he refers to him, that he is the messenger sent to prepare the way, sent by God to prepare the way for him. So it comes from the writing of Mark, and it comes from the lips of Jesus that John the Baptist is the one that was designated to prepare the way for him. Now, this, this ministry of preparation was unique to the person of John the Baptist, that God gave him a unique ministry, the ministry of preparation. He said, I will send my minister to prepare the way. Now, they were, they were familiar with that. They were used, uh, used to that thing happening on a human level as a king or as a dignitary or royalty would go to a new area. They would travel to a new country, to another province, that they would send a messenger that would go before them. And this messenger would serve a couple of purposes that this messenger would probably not be alone, but he would be accompanied by other people. And along the way that he would prepare the roads that, you know, as well as I do, that in 2019, sometimes the roads around here need some care. So you know that they must have in that day and time. And so that they would prepare the roadway so that the king and his entourage, that they could get to where they were going. So sometimes they may even have to build a bridge or even cut through uh, some rough and thorny places, whatever they were willing and they were prepared to do. But not only was it that aspect when they got there, that they would trumpet the announcement, that they would herald the good news that, G that the messenger, that the dignitary was coming and that he would be there soon and they should await his arrival. And that's how it is with John, that he went and he heralded, heralded the good news that Jesus Christ was coming and that they should wait for his arrival. And so that John the Baptist, that he perfectly and he uniquely fulfilled this role as a messenger, that he prepared the way, that he made the path straight, that he preached the gospel of repentance, that he preached the gospel of righteousness. He, he preached that people must forsake their sin and turn to God in their life. You see, the gospel has not changed one iota from John's time to our time. That God is calling me, he is calling you, that we would repent and turn to him. That's the gospel. You know, there's a lot of things that we may talk about and teach about as we come into these four walls, there's a lot of different subjects that a person may, that a preacher may choose to preach about. But at the end of the day, it's all about men, women, boys, and girls becoming right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only gospel that we have to preach. Now, there are plenty of other gospels that are being preached, but that's the only gospel to preach. It's anchored in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. In verse number 3 it says he was the voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, though uh, John the Baptist, that he is a, a character, that he is a person who is found in the New Testament, 
that he is in all actuality the last of the Old Testament prophets, okay? And so that's unique, unique as you see that about John, that he prophesied in a very unique way at a very unique time. He had a very special role in redemptive history as he was right before the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus says, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And all what I would give just to hear, just be able to hear what that fellow had to say. I bet he would curl your hair. I, I don't know if we could take it. Uh, I really don't. Uh, I'm sure that this guy was not polished whatsoever. He would not give one rip what anybody had to think about it. You can just see it. And, and, but man, what a powerful man of God. He, he knew. He knew the Lord. And he had the power of God upon his life. And God used him in a miraculous, in a, in a wonderful way. Hey, good timing. Four through six. You see, the prophet, the prophet of the gospel, the prophet of the gospel of Jesus Christ in 4 through 6, uh, in, yeah, 4 through 6. And John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. So now uh, he really gets in on the person of John the Baptist. Now, as I said about uh, Jesus, there were other Jesuses, and there were definitely uh, other Johns that were walking around in that day, but this John was distinct uh, from all the other Johns that there were because he had a ministry and that he was going around preaching repentance and baptizing people in the wilderness. Now, this place that he was baptizing there, the wilderness around the Jordan River, uh, it was unique in that uh, he was not uh, out with the religious people uh, there in Jerusalem, that he wasn't hanging around uh, the temple and all that stuff. But he was out there in the middle of nowhere, and so that just really showing that his call was from God. He was out there in the wilderness, and I believe that that was symbolic, symbolic of all those who would come to faith and repentance in Christ Jesus, that we must come to the place of recognizing that we are lost and that we are undone and that we are in need of a Savior. Just like the Old Testament Israelites that they wandered around in the wilderness. And that's how it is in your life and my life. If we're ever going to come to know Christ and salvation, it's going to be as we admit, as we confess, that we're lost, that we are sinners, and that we need help more than we need anything else. And that's, if that's you today, you need to confess it. You need to come to Christ just as you are. Don't try to make it look good. Just call it as it is and come to Christ. As you do that, that you'll find that He is welcoming you with open arms and He is able to save to the uttermost, as I talked about last week, all those that will come unto Him. So today I invite you to come to Christ. 
to come to him. Let him, allow him to take your sin. Allow him to walk you out of the wilderness that you're in and to the light of what God has yet for you. It says that he was preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Now, if there were people there that were ready for this king, if they were ready for what John was preaching and teaching about, then they had to come to a place of repentance. They had to come to a place of forsaking their sins and experiencing the forgiveness that only God can give. You see that we look we look to try to get un, out from and under the guilt of our sin, the weight of our sin. We try a million different things in our life through relationships and through hobbies and pastimes and work and all these different things. But there's only one way to get out from and under the guilt and the weight and the heaviness of the sin of our life. And that is when we come to Christ and ask Him to forgive us and to clean us up and to make us new. That's the only way. And that's who, that's who that John was baptizing. He was baptizing those people who had asked the Lord God to forgive them and to make them new and to repent in their life. See, religion, you see, introduced here to baptism. But you know, baptism, uh, this isn't you know, the first time anyone was baptized. Uh, that, it, that the Jews, that they often... Uh, baptize, baptized, baptized, baptized uh, Gentiles uh, that were proselytes. So it was something that they had known about and something that they had experienced. So, so let's, let's take that understanding for those Jews uh, as they were baptizing the Gentiles uh, that were proselytes. It was a sign of a new association. A sign of a new association for these uh, Gentile uh, people who are proselytes to Jews. Now, the big deal here in this text of Scripture is that, that these Jews that were coming out of, of Jerusalem and the part of Judea, they were coming out uh, to the wilderness there, that they had to admit that they needed a new association. They had to admit that, that religion and their forefather Abraham was not enough for them to be made right with God. That they in their own life personally had to make a new association. And as they came for baptism, that they showed everyone else that they had been changed, that they had been forgiven, that they had forsaken their sins, that they had been they had repented in their life, and therefore John the Baptist that he baptized them as a demonstration of their repentance. That's what John did. Now, John wasn't baptizing people in order for them to be saved. He was baptizing them because they had been saved. That is always the message of the Word of God. That has not changed. That when we repent, that we're turning from sin and we're turning what? To God. There's something that takes place there. We're not simply turning from sin, but we're turning from sin and that we are turning to God. Now, in Luke 3, in verse 8, speaking of John's message, uh, he said, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. 
So we think about repentance that we need to know that re- true repentance always brings about real change. True repentance brings about real change. Now, for, for if someone comes up here on Sunday morning and says, Brother Ronnie, I want to be saved. They pray a sinner's prayer. They walk out of here and they are never changed. You tell me, did they repent? No. No. If we really repent that there is going to be change that is produced in our heart and life. And so the outward demonstration of true repentance was that they were willing to surrender to baptism by John. This baptism, listen, did not produce forgiveness. Repentance did that. Repentance produced forgiveness. This was an act of obedience and demonstrated that they had been forgiven. That's what the baptism of John was all about. Now, I want to quickly say, that John's ministry of baptism, it preceded Christian baptism. In Acts chapter number 19, Acts 19, verse 3 and 4, you see that those believers that had, had experienced the baptism of John, that Paul, that he went ahead and he rebaptized them uh, because that was not Christian baptism. Because, see, today... When we are baptized, as those today were, that we are, uh, we are showing uh, who we are trusting in, what we are depending on, that we are trusting in the fact that Jesus Christ, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. All right? And so that's what Christian baptism is all about, that we are demonstrating what Christ has done. And so it was important uh, in, in the New Testament here, it was important for them to get that right, okay? And so I believe that baptism is important even today. It's important then. It's important today that we get this right. Now, there, there's plenty of discussion and dissension and all these things about what baptism looks like and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And we see uh, the, the trend today uh, that, that we as Baptist people are being more lenient on, on what baptism looks like and what is acceptable and not acceptable. Uh, there's an old phrase that's coined as alien immersion and, and that sort of thing, whether Baptist people are, are, are recognizing other denominational baptism and things such as that. You see that we as Baptist people historically, that we have only recognized the baptism uh, from a Baptist congregation. And I believe it was Ben Stratton he produced a few months ago. He said that in the state of Kentucky, 50 years ago, there wasn't six Baptist churches that recognized alien immersion. And now today, that Baptist people, that we're getting soft on baptism and what that means. But the Bible is not soft on baptism. And and we still today, Trace Creek, we're old school. I'm old school. We're going to continue to be old school until I die, I guess. Or y'all kick me out, whichever. That might be the same day. I don't know. Uh, but 
<laughs> I don't know about that. But, but anyhow, but we got we to be strong on that. And that's not something that we be, we be uh, you know, hard about. It's not something to be harsh about. It's not something that, you know, we try to be mean about. But we try to be biblical in that. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what they did here. And that's what we're going to do. So it, it's not anything to fist fight over with. Just know what the Bible says and obey it and go with it. All right? That's, that's all we got to do. And you see this in the Word of God that baptism that it was an important thing to them and it's important to us John's baptism was unique in all of the scripture and so it when it came time for for Christ he's died he's risen he in all these things that now Christian baptism looks different than John's baptism did has a different purpose and a different meaning than John's baptism did so to speak and so it's different so it's it's unique in scripture but but it's still it's important nonetheless all right so let's move on and John he baptized as they confessed their sin. In verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair, a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. Now, this is, this is more than a shout-out to John's in, inability to know what was socially acceptable, all right? It was, it was more than that. Uh, he, he, even though I do believe he was oblivious to what was socially acceptable, uh, much like many of us are sometimes, but nonetheless, this wasn't about his concern for fashion. It really wasn't. But what we see here, I believe, is a... Uh, demonstration, what we see here, that it is rem to remind us of the striking uh, similarity between him and Elijah. Him and Elijah. As you see uh, in 2 Kings in verse number one, in chapter number one, in verse number eight. 2 Kings 1 in verse eight. It says, he was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. I was studying, uh, someone said that it talks about Elijah being a hairy man, that really they, they believe that the understanding of this was more about his attire uh, than, than it was his physical makeup. And so just like John the Baptist wearing uh, this, this, this garment of, of critter hair, uh, that Elijah, that, that he did the same thing, that he had the same, uh, the same uh, appearance as uh, John the Baptist and that he was to be a reminiscent, so to speak, of, of, of uh, Elijah. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 17, as John the Baptist's uh, dad gets the word of his uh, uh, conception and, and being born. It says, and he shall go before him in the spirit of what? Of Elijah. That it was declared by God through an angel that John the Baptist, and he would go forth in the spirit of Elijah. And that's exactly what he did. That he was that kind of man. He knew the power of God on his life in that sort of way. So it was more than just what he wore. And then that he went about, had a pretty neat uh, diet plan as well. I'd say he wasn't a hefty fellow, wouldn't you? Eating locusts and wild honey. If this makes you feel any better, Leviticus chapter 11 in verse 22, even of them ye may eat the locust after its kind, the bald locust after its kind, the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind. 
If I'm going to choose one, I'm going to choose the bald one that'll be less hairy, aren't you? But high in protein. All right, enough about that. The preaching, seven and eight. Preaching, seven and eight. And we're finished. That didn't hurt, did it? We're about finished. And preach, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose, whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, he preached. Now, I doubt that he had three points on a poem. I doubt that. But this guy preached. He proclaimed. He heralded uh, the, the truth of Christ. He heralded the truth of that God demands that we come to him in faith and repentance. That he was unashamed about the message and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the idea of this forerunner is definitely of one who would go ahead and that he would announce and that he would proclaim. And so this this herald or that that the herald never went and said here I am the herald he always went and said somebody's coming not me somebody mightier than me someone more powerful than me someone more glorious than me is coming and that's what John the Baptist that he did, that he preached. And, and really, preaching is the same still today. Any preacher that's worth a nickel, that he doesn't get up and preach about himself or anything else, he always, we always point people to the glorious one, the majestic one, the powerful one, the victor, the savior, Jesus Christ. Preaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And that will not change. So like John said, John 3 and verse 30, that he must increase and that I must decrease. That was the message. And that we are always about preaching, teaching, singing, talk, whatever we do, that you and I, that our ambition, that our goal should be the same as that to lift up and to name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see in the very character of this man the very reason that God was able to use him as he did. I'm always amazed that the people that, that you're able to be around that you see and know that God has used in a mighty way the real deals. That those people are never about themselves. They're always humble people. They're always gracious people. And they're always about the business of Jesus and lifting up Jesus and talking about Jesus. And that's why God is able to use them. And if God is going to use me and if God is going to use you, I believe it's going to be because that you and I, that we've gotten ourselves out of the way, that we've made ourselves low, 
that we live and that we walk and that we desire to be humble people and extend grace to those that are around us and that we are always lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist that I, 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 don't, I don't know how, they, how, how you could come to a number on this but as I was reading reading, I was reading this week reading this week that some scholars believe that literally hundreds of thousands of people came to see John. I, I don't know how they would calculate that, but they're smarter than I am. But let, let's, say, let's say it wasn't hundreds of thousands. Let's say it was thousands. Let's just say it was thousands who come to hear the preaching and surrender themselves to the baptism of John. You know as well as I do, if that was the average preacher in Graves County, you couldn't have fit his head in this building. Right? Absolutely. I couldn't took it. I couldn't have took it. Or taken it. Took it, taken it, whatever. I couldn't have. My ego, I'd have been floating out of here. But see, John, that he was a humble man, that he understood that it wasn't about him. Yep. Not, not, nothing that he did was about him, but it was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I, if we sincerely ever want to be used by God, I believe it's going to be when we replicate that in our lives, that no matter what amount of small success that God may afford us in our life, that we'll always understand that our job is not to point anybody to us and to take any glory for ourselves because we're not deserving of any of it. Only God is worthy of it. And that He, that He was quick, He said that I am not worthy to even stoop down and unloose His shoes. Man, what an attitude of servitude. You see... This, this is a gospel that shows the servitude of Christ. But it also shows the attitude of His servants as well. And that's why Jesus said that He was so great. Isn't it amazing how that the teaching of Jesus turn, it turns our rationale up on its head sometimes. We think, oh, we're gonna, you know, if we're going to be great, we've got to make ourselves great. No, God said, if you want to make yourself great, you become small. You become nothing. Become of low degree. But his, he knew that his job was nothing more than that of a household slave. And some writers say that it was even beneath the household slave to do such a thing. That's how low. That's how low that John the Baptist felt that he was, that he wasn't even willing to undo somebody's sandals. I don't know about you, but a good day in my shoes, and I don't even want to undo my own shoes. It's lowly, it's disgusting. Are we willing to be despised? Are we willing? to put ourselves in that place in order to be used by God? 
John the Baptist was willing. And God used him in a great and a mighty way. And I believe that God is still looking for people that are willing to make themselves low so that he can raise them up high. He wants to do that in people. He wants to do that in churches. And may God help us that we be all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we'll proclaim it, that we'll live it, that we'll understand that it's not my gospel, your gospel, our gospel, Mark's gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Every day, in every way, it's about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for these moments in your word today. And God, I know that it's not...